It's the 50th episode of Bacho Death Trip and we are doing taproot. I repeat, we are doing taproot. We are doing taproot. For long time listeners, and yes, 50 episodes is a good length of time, you'll no doubt have heard Reese more often than not ridicule me and Taproot's debut album, Gift. But perhaps by making fun of that, some of you have gone and listened to the album yourselves. And it's not that bad, am I right? I mean, especially in a climate where it became integral to be at the forefront of newer new metal and alternative acts, you'd place your bet on a wide variety of emerging acts from Taproot and Audio Vent to the more esoteric groups, Midasuno, the Kennedy soundtrack, Tool. <sighs> hey, they're not Huberstanker, at least, right? Did Reese ever ask why I'm so glowing about Taproot? No. But if he did, I'd let him know that my history with them runs deep alongside my first real friend I made as a fresher at university, and her name was Bethan. Now, Bethan not only introduced me to some pretty awesome bands from the Wales scene, Midasuno, the Kennedy soundtrack, the Welsh tool, but became a very influential part of my life just by sheer virtue of her passion for music, promoting it, engaging in it, making it feel personable when at times it didn't. So when she called me from a taproot gig in Nottingham and passed the phone over to their bass player, that was something pretty special to me. It normalised the whole, quote, rock star ego, unquote, into this is just a guy playing music and getting a bit more money than usual. And that friends fed into my approach when I was a music journalist in New Zealand for a great amount of time. And the album was banging also. Alienation, dejection, a song about having a wank, all things a teenager slash young adult can relate to. So, Reese, I posed this question on our 50th episode of Batcho Death Trip. You feel like an arsehole taking jabs at something that has been incredibly profound on me? No. No, I don't. <laughs> of course not, you immoral shit. Of course you don't, man. At no point did you go, oh, you know, like, this must have a real special place in this guy's heart. 100% this guy... You know, there must be something about this album because even I'll admit, and I'm sure Simon, who's here with us guesting, hey, Simon, how you doing? Oh, hello, hello. Even he'll admit that it's not the greatest album in the world, but it's not the worst album. And it's one of those situations where it's it's an album, it's a piece of music that will tap into a moment of your life. And that's why it's important to me. You know, like when I played Glassjaw at Baccio and... uh a young, fresh-faced dog rat asked me where to pick up BZPs from. He will remain nameless, of course, but I've remained very endearing friends with him for a long, long, long amount of time. But no, you just didn't ask, eh? You just thought in your own smart-ass way you'd take jabs at them, didn't you? Didn't you? Welcome to the 50th episode of Baccio Death Trip, The Benji Strikes Back. My beef isn't with... Like, you can have those moments with any albums. I'm never going to take that away from you. I'm never going to, like, you know, shit on your friendship with Bethan, which is an awesome name. Never heard that name before. I'm kind of with you in that when I, when I listened to this album maybe a year ago, I was like, this fucking sucks. This is so shit. And then we did this, started this podcast, and, you know, it was all like, we're going to do the 50th episode on Taproot. We're going to do it. And then I listened to it, and I was like, this is not good. And then I listened to it again, I'm like, 
I kind of don't hate it, but there's someone who I think in my life who was a very unsung hero to me who, you know, told me to get an SM58 when I was 14 years old. He came to our band practice space, Simon <laughs> Russell White, who fucking loves Taproot. And listening to this band, Simon, I realized you took a lot from them. You took a lot of their, their <laughs> vocal chops and their fashion styles. Oh, man. What can I say? Yeah. Especially back then, uh, looking back, oh, Christ. Yeah, it's all there. <laughs> Did you not have your own Taproot shirt, like a homemade one? It was actually made for me by my dear friend, Aaron. Yes, it was. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I've got photos of it somewhere. I tried to find them, but they're still in Victoria. So was Taproot your band? Was that like... Like Glassjaw was sort of my band in Bendigo. Simon, we both grew up in Bendigo. You're a musician, and like Benji was a music journalist. You are a music journalist. So was Taprit sort of your cross to bear almost? Were you going around at every show at the old Crown, like <laughs> handing out burnt Taprit CDs? Um, they were one of the the lower tune bands that I got into, you know. And listening back, I actually don't mind some of the riffs still, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, they're catchy, catchy riffs, man. Like, at the intro smile you reckon is weak, but I reckon it, it's pretty strong. Yeah, admittedly, maybe they should have started the album off with again and again. But, hmm. you know, both both Gift and Welcome, which was their follow-up album, you can't deny that, although vocally sometimes it might seem a little meagre, there's some big, chunky riffs that they come out with, you know. My issue isn't with Smile as a song. It's with the intro guitar. I'm always about starting an album with noise straight into a song. Or it maybe if the riff's like a classic riff, but that jangly... Listen to it here. What does this do for an album it doesn't really drop you in at the right spot it's just like this this is just a song it's not an intro it's not an opening statement have a listen I just don't think that guitar part is interesting enough to start an album with. Just have a listen to like just chop that out and you put the CD in your discman you hit play and this comes at you It's a bit of an abrupt kind of like introduction though. You'd still need like a little bit of a buffer beforehand, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, that was my poor editing, but even just a tiny thing, you don't need <laughs> you don't need that long riff. Now, I kind of I didn't tune in at first, but there are there's a few more programmed drums than I realized on a sort of first listen cuz they st- they started with a drum machine, isn't that right? Yeah. Even though Steve and the singer could play drums, they started like as a really wholesome sort of band where they'd, they'd write a few songs, they'd go play them, then they'd write a few more. No, they were friends, they hung out a lot. Like it was a really, it's kind of like if you become a successful band, that's the way you want to go about it. I just don't think that is the the best opening to the album, you know? And then it goes into Steven's singing. And Simon, you talked about like their catchy riffs, yeah? Mm. I agree. And I finally have cracked the definition of what new metal is. And this is legitimate. I'm not being a smart ass here. Straight away, both your faces are like, <laughs> shut up, man. No, I promise you. Yeah, the, 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 the two music journalists sat here are like, you know, like that Willy Wonka meme, like, oh, okay, Reese, do tell us what you think the new metal formula <laughs> is. I'm waiting. 
it is one supremely talented member and three other people. So <laughs> in, in like metal, like let's say you've got Dillinger, Escape Plan, and Mashuga. There's no room to hide. There is no weakest link there, yeah? Whereas new metal, yep. every band has like a few weakest links. But Taproot, their guitarist, I should have learned his name. Simon, do you know his name? Which guitarist though? Because they replaced Mike DeWolf in 2015. Yeah, that's him. That's him. That was the original guy. Yeah, Mike DeWolf was the original. So in this band, you've got Mike D, who is just so incredibly creative. And then you've got Steven, who can't really sing. And he's the fault in the band. Then the other two dudes. Like, then that's it. But like I said, Dillinger, all those more technical bands, everyone's at the, the top of their game. New Metal, you just need one person sort of driving it. And that's why they've got that high school aesthetics, because it's one kid who's just like, yo, I'm, I'm incredible. Just follow me. I'll lead you there. The flying V, Mighty Duck style. What do you think? <laughs> Like, okay, so in New Metal, you've got Sunk Lotto, the guitarist in Sunk mm-hmm. Lotto, incredible, yeah? Really, really um, next level. I think Corn don't work as much, but I think Limp Bizkit would be Wes Borland, supremely creative, way more creative than the rest of the band, yeah? Yeah. Even Like, I don't know why Taproot was such a big hit and Floor, who released uh, Through the Eyes, like a year later, weren't bigger. But my beef with Taproot is the singer. His lyrics are too introspective and too. Uh, he does that one thing that I fucking hate with songs, bar untitled, where they're like called like I, me, my, now. <laughs> Fuck off. What a pathetic attempt at being a sort of arty. But all these lyrics um, are, are, are too like um, whingy and whiny on top of having a really horrendous sort of singing voice for the most part. <laughs> Only in the later part of the album do I think where he sort of relaxes or maybe they're the more, um, they're the older songs. Do I, I think he kind of finds his groove, but that's kind of when he's ripping off Deftones seven words. I don't know if I agree with you on that one, Reese. to be honest with you. I mean, I know the vocals aren't, aren't tight, but I mean, it's, it's their major debut. So these are songs that they wrote, if I remember correctly, around 1997 and expanded upon them with, I think it was, was it Upon Us that came out before Gift? Yeah, it would have been. So his going to the well regarding this, you know, it might be nerves or something like that. It might be the case where the label, because they were with, Atlantic or some fucking subsidiary under Atlantic before they made the move to Atlantic, who became a subsidiary of Warner. Maybe they decided, look, man, you know what's really hot? Teen angst, you know? Daniel Johns, some Australian from Silverchair, made a career of teenage angst. So you know what you guys need to do? You need to tap into the whole idea about not getting with a girl and going home and tugging one out. That's what the kids (laughs) want to hear these days, you know? They want to hear about, you know, failed relationships and having wanks. And I commend Stephen for writing lyrics about that because One Night Stand was, was quite a janky song, but he managed to do it with enough gusto. His vocals also got compared to, according to the Paragon of Information Wikipedia, Trent Reznor, Jonathan Davies, and Mike Patton. What? Now, I will say this. <laughs> I will say this. That Mike Patton is only Mike Patton. You, you can't compare Mike Patton to anyone else. He's like S-tier. But you even mentioned a reference to Chino um, later on in the album. So 
I don't know. It's, it was very different vocals compared to everything else that was going around at the time. I just want to throw back to what Simon was saying about the fashion sense. At the time, it felt like the fashion sense was baggy jeans, like fishnets, boots with the fur, bandages, yeah, all of that. <laughs> Wallet chains. Wallet chain, you know, all of that stuff, you know. And they came along and it was like long sleeve button up work shirts and stuff like that. You know, the Chino Marino deftone school of like, we're going to kind of look a bit more suave and sophisticated, almost similar to um, back in the nineties when you had like the gamut of bands, like, you know, Metallica, Alice in Chains, Nirvana, uh, Pearl Jam, all of those bands that had that aesthetic of, yeah, we just fucking throw on whatever we can that we find on the floor and walk out. And then you had Helmet who were like, nah, man, we, we're clean guys. We, we, we shower and we dress the part. So Taproot had that kind of sense of we don't want to look like a bunch of Grebos, as we call them in the UK. We want to look somewhat presentable. And it worked. Well, Simon, what was it about Taproot that you connected with? Like, how old were you when it came out? And was it the lyrics or was it just the aggression? Like, you you had the shirt on. Like, what made you connect with them? Uh, definitely the music first. Um, not not every band that I love um, needs to have the I, – I don't need to connect with the vocalist straight away. Um, it's one of my favourite bands is Converge. So, you know, so no more there. Um, his vocals sit very back in the mix. For this, for this band, it was definitely it was definitely the music. I really enjoyed the heavy style of the music. It was sort of yeah, there's definitely Deftones element there. But this guy, uh, Stephen, some a little reminded me a little bit of Brock Lithgow from Thirty Six Crazy Fists. So a little bit different, you know, something yeah, a little yeah, bit left man. of center. Definitely, but in the fifteen. It must have been 15 years of not listening to it. I might have gone to the odd song. I do like some of the latest, couple of later songs, one off um, Blue Sky Research, a later album. But listening back, I never realised how sort of emotive some of the lyrics were and how, you, you would say whiny, but they were really just, there it is. Yeah, no frills. It's just... It's an angsty energy, it and is. it really tapped into, like, you know, how we felt at the time at that age, you know, that that kind of... I mean, that lyric from Again and Again, I said, I'm sorry, but you won't hear me, is just when he delivers that in a singing voice, and then it just kind of, like, delivered emotionally on, yeah. on, on a level for me at the time, which was like holy shit, okay, this guy gets the kind of alienation of, like, you're trying to apologize because you're growing up making mistakes and yet, no, you know, people think that that's beneath them. Like, nah, fuck you, you've been cancelled now. Later, no apologies, you know, no one listening. Especially when you're a teenager and you think you know everything and you get older and you look back and go, I was a dumb fuck, I knew nothing, man. But at least this guy... He went to bat for me, man. He went on that hill to die on for I me. I mean, I want to hear the other side, the other person on that conversation having their song being like, I got your apology and I accepted it, but you were too busy writing your little sketchbook about jerking off that you didn't fucking... <laughs> yeah, I've got really shit reception on Opta. <laughs> it's like Alec Empire with Atari Teenage Riot. Like, 
you know, he always screams at the crowd, can you hear me? And I remember at a gig once, someone went, no, turn that fucking fax machine off, mate. I can't hear you at all. <laughs> but you've got these, like, kids who are, like, 14, 15. Now, I don't know what their life story is like, but I think they grew up just in a pretty nice area i've got a feeling they're a christian because the drummer the old drummer jared montague is now drumming in a church band and he's written a book did you guys know this no i did yeah yeah legitimately so it's so good he was looking for a formula for success and happiness and he's called it true rock stars 12 guiding principles for success and happiness so what he did basically was taproot were like kind of not making much money so they're from michigan so of course he went to work for gm and then he worked his way up there and now he's like you know, making some money. And he's like, well, I got out of the band race and got into the rat race and now I'm making money. Everyone should get my book. I couldn't find it. So I emailed him and I said, can mm. I, I'd love to buy a copy of your book. Do you have it like um, uh, an EPUB version or a PDF? I'll pay you. He did not get back to me. So I don't know what the fuck is wrong with these people. Did not get back to me. That whole band's just gone off the grid. Cause I, I this morning uh, through the Mooseside Twitter ended up posting like, I'm off to bat for Taproot today, guy. I, the last time they posted on social media was 2019. So uh, uh, do they still exist? Or is it one of those things where everyone just kind of dissipated, you know, like tears in the rain? They come back together. They do. Their last album was really interesting. I, I suggest you, I think it's called Episodes or That Episodes. It's a re, If I put that on and didn't say it was Taproot, you would have no idea. But you've got these kids who are 14, 15, whatever, like all this angsty shit. It's like... You know who should be fronting a fucking band? The 48-year-old women who are now having to work in like supermarkets because they've been cheated on by their husband who couldn't keep it in their pants and they've been left these fucking, you know, teenage kids going through it while their husband's off in the fucking Queensland somewhere sunbaking and, and sort of compartmentalizing their life. Those people who are like, oh, I should be retiring soon. All my friends are retiring. They should form bands and that would be true emotionally gut-punching fucking songs. I don't want to hear what a 14-year-old's got to say anymore. I want to hear... Do you reckon that's going to solve most of the world's problems? Like, you know... Are you saying Taproot solves any problems? No, no, no. All I'm saying is that if, if with with your, with your theory in mind and not to sound like a misogynist, apologies here, you know, what you're saying is that it's basically going to be a fucking 12-track album of, like, Can I Talk to Your Manager, Volume 1 through 12. Is that what you want? Is that what you really want? It'll be a track about, like, hey, I stayed at home and looked after the kids while you were building up your career, and now at the when we're about to retire, you fucked off and left me with a 40-year gap on my resume. But that's why Here's we have fucking country and western music. That's why we have country music, man. Yeah, uh, just give those people a voice. Like Dolly over Parton's Jolene. Dolly Parton's Jolene was like proto-emo. Please don't steal my man away from me. Well, this would be post that. It's like, you've stolen him, and now I'm working at Woolworths. Post-Dolly Parton. Cool. <laughs> so you've mentioned the wanking song, and let's get a bit of a philosophy chat happening. About masturbate. You want to do a philosophy talk about masturbation? Well, I do. You're talking about the song One Night Stand, yeah? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's enter some philosophy chat. Simon, Benji, you, you happy to enter in with me? Yeah, sure. We've got no choice, have we? <laughs> yeah, and get ready for some philosophy chat. Fuck yeah. That fucking auto-tune again. John Locke said, No man's knowledge here can go beyond his experience. Nancy Willard, American poet, said, Sometimes questions are more important than answers. St. Augustine stated 
We are too weak to discover the truth by reason alone. And Stephen Richards from the band Taproot once said, I had a one night stand with myself last night. Now that statement is not one said lightly. I had a one night stand with myself last night. We're only going to be able to discuss it for a few minutes, but really this could have a whole curriculum developed around it. This wouldn't be out of place in any sort of university philosophy class, really, if you ask me. Now, I would argue that the longest relationship you will ever have is one with yourself. There is no escape. The inner monologue, the reflection, the hopes, the dreams, the journey, there is no escape for it is within. You can try and sedate it with drugs and alcohol. You can try and put it out of your mind with brief moments of meditation. But there is no escape from yourself. Adamizer on songmeanings.com suggests that this song is actually the one night stand that he has with himself. It's like when you sit by yourself writing and, and you learn about yourself. It can be really fucked up, you know, the fright of a lifetime, if you will, but then it's better. It feels better once you have explored yourself. But lovepanky.com defines a one night stand as a, a one time thing. You sleep with a person once. After that, one of you will decide that it's not worth repeating. And if it never happens again, then that is it. That is what a one-night stand is. If the person calls you weeks after, then that evolves into what they call a booty call. So I pose this question to you, fine young gentleman. Is it really possible to have a one-night stand with yourself can you only truly know yourself for one night only or you are you fucked up here Reese. And learning about yourself every you have second fucked up here royally every hour every day what do you guys think i'll let simon go first <laughs> cheers man uh is it possible no flat out no no it's not possible because if he's talking about wanking if he only does it once then yep Great. If you've only wanked once, then you've had the one night stand with yourself. Yeah. But the second time you do it, that's a booty call with yourself. <laughs> and then you're friends with benefits with yourself, you know, and then you're in an unnamed relationship. Then you name it, you know, it's not a one night stand. Yeah. But you're talking about the idea of solipsism, which is you're, you're taking it into a completely different direction, Reese. What's solipsism? <laughs> solipsism is the philosophical the idea of the album, that nothing. Yeah, no, what, no, you're thinking of a, it's a tool bootleg that they recorded that big day out. With Edema. Tool, solipsism, with Edema. <laughs> with Zach Zellerosha coming out and doing like fucking Deftones covers with him. It's that great. It's that holy grail of bootlegs that doesn't exist. Solipsism is the philosophical principle that nothing else exists and what really exists is just the idea that you are yourself and you can identify and trust that as empirical knowledge that you exist. But do other things exist? And it's, it's that idea, you know, the easiest way I can explain it is that we are told Australia exists, but I knew someone at college who identified with the idea of solipsism by saying, but I've never been to Australia all I've seen is Australia on uh, nature documentaries and on TV and the uh, holiday fucking program. So 
because I've not <laughs> been to Australia, <laughs> I can't have that empirical knowledge that it actually exists. I'm just going by what people have told me. You know, Dave Gorman, before he did his Google Wack adventure, was trying to write a book based on the idea of being told that blue is the color blue, but is it actually the color blue? I told you you fucked up, man. You're taking this into a completely different direction. So, yeah, maybe maybe he's a solipsist and maybe that one-night stand is a continual thing because he doesn't really believe that he's holding his dick. He's holding this construct of what he believes is a dick. If Stephen Richards is talking about solipsism, if this is what this whole thing is, you know, been about, if Taproot's gift is about this sort of philosophical debate within oneself then fuck, they win best band ever, hands down. But it's it's a flawed philosophy because I know I exist and you know you exist. And by rights, on a molecular level, you do exist. Simon exists. But, I mean, I've met you recent person. I've touched you. I've felt <laughs> you. I've been in your beautiful glory, you know, so I know you exist. Simon could be a fucking AI bot for all I know, man. And that's the principle of solipsism is, you know... You know yourself that you exist, but nothing else exists. I'll do a I'll do a separate podcast all about the philosophical debates. But like everything in life, you can frame anything to do whatever you want with. I got people still telling me that they believe Arctic Monkey's first album is a concept album because I told them it's a concept album. <laughs> it's not a concept album. The running theme now is you having cracks at Block Party and Arctic Monkeys now. I have got no problem with Arctic Monkeys. I got a problem with fucking Fred Durst, the way he treated these guys, though. Whoa. Strap yourself in. You know what I'm about to talk about, Simon, don't you? <laughs> I think so. What do you know about this, the Fred Durst story? I remember it was bad, but I can't remember the details. As soon as you said it, I went, oh, oh I remember it was bad. Yeah, he... That he, fucking dude went he fucked on him over full... All, yeah. hmm. Oh, no, he went on full fucking blast on Stephen Richard's voicemail. Oh, full 100%. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that yeah. is absolutely incorrect. He went full blast on Stephen Richards' mum's voicemail. Oh, my God. That's even worse. That's right. Yeah, I got the story. So Fred Durst leaves a message like this. Steve, Fred Durst. Hey, man. You fucked up. You don't ever bite the hand that feeds in this business, bro. And your fucking manager stuff like that is a fucking idiot. Loser motherfucker going nowhere. You have just chosen that path. Took you under my wing, brought you to my house. Fucking talk about your ass on radio on press. And you embarrass like me and Inesco family. Your association with no biscuit doesn't exist. Your manager slings that name around. Anyway, fuck that. Fuck giving that dude any more airtime. But what happened was they went to a corn show and Limp Biscuit opened. Yeah? And so they threw out these demos and Taproot, some of the members got it. And inside the, the CD was, hey, send us your demos to this address and we'll, we'll, we'd love to hear it. So they do it. Fred Durst rings up Stephen's mum's house and was like, hey, is Stephen there? Uh, hey, I loved it. I loved it. And they, they came down to wherever they were. They hung out. Fred Durst actually went to Stephen's mum's house and saw that he was a teenage kid living at home. Yeah, so he knew, he knew this, yeah? And then he was like, oh, it's so cool being in a band. We get to do this, 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 and this. Didn't actually pitch them a plan. Didn't give them any contract. Didn't give them anything, yeah? All they did was just sort of talk at them. All they did was talk. And then he heard that they were having meetings with other labels. Now, 
they hadn't signed. It wasn't announced via press release. He didn't find out like via MTV or anything like that. It's just like, oh, they had a meeting with Rick Rubin. What? I was nice to them. I was fucking nice to them. And now I'm going to ruin their, their career. So he rings up Stephen's mum and leaves a message. Not, hey, let's meet and let's chat. And um, Why did you sign with them? Or, or why did you meet with them? Sorry, I should say. It's none of that. It's none of that adult shit. It's just like, you fucking, you're dead. You're a piece of shit, blah, blah, blah. Now, Fred Durst, the character actor, is this him being another character? Or is he just a flat-out fucking thin-skinned asshole like he revealed on Hot Dog where Trent Reznor was like, I think you're a bit of a dum-dum. And he's like, fucking, I'm going to take your chorus and I'm going (laughs) to sing it. (laughs) Ah, dickhead. But I don't give a fuck. Oh, fuck off, Fred Durst. I I think this is a very revealing part of him. This fucking sucks. I thought he sounded very fucking inebriated on that phone call to begin with. Mm. You know, it sounded like he was on something. I'm not going to excuse that though. Cause at the end of the day, he's a grown ass man having a shit fit at teenagers. It's like an old man shaking his fucking, you know, fist at a new metal sky. It's ridiculous. Like he kicked system off the uh, system off a down off of family values tour because he found out that System of a Down helped Taproot get that record deal for Gift. Wow. So, and like, like on the grand scheme of things, if given the choice of like watching Limp Biscuit at that time when Fred Durst was in full fucking ego mode, and then watching System of a Down, who were just about to enter into like the era of toxicity when they blew up. Mate, nine times out of ten, I'm going to be choosing System of a Down over Limp Biscuit on that lineup. But let, let's let not fucking beat around the bush, and I'm sure, Simon, you'll agree with me here. That is just intimidation and bullying tactics. And that's no way to have a musical relationship with, with a label, with anyone. It's, it's shit. Mm. It's a very revealing part of Fred Durst as well, like... That and the porn that he fucking shot are two of the most revealing things of Fred Durst I've uh, wow. seen, unfortunately, and heard. Yeah. The, uh, I wonder what deal he had cut with Interscope. Maybe there was something there because he thinks he's a full gangster, you know, and picking on kids. Uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't put anything past that guy. You know, he's just, <laughs> just a sad individual and he may have made a lot of money, but Jesus is a tosser, like, honestly. And be a tosser, make your money, absolutely. I, I agree with it, like, I don't agree with it, I don't love it, but do it. Don't try and reframe yourself as, like, this, like, ah, uh, it was all a bit of an act, hey, a bit of a wink yeah. at the camera. You know, I was sort of, like, giving my thumbs up behind my back the whole time, sucked in everyone. Nah, you're a fucking dickhead. The old Tommy Wiseau effect, you know? Oh, the room was a serious piece of work. Oh, no, it was post post-ironic humor and yeah i agree with simon i think at that point in time fred durst you know it was fred durst and trent reznor were both on interscope they both kind of had subsidiaries because trent had if i remember correctly nothing which was our interscope subsidiary and then fred durst got made the president or like a a big big position in interscope and I'm sure hopefully we can all agree that acting like that, sounding like that, fucking dude thought he was like New Metal's answer to Suge Knight. Yeah, that's the first uh, other um, producer that came to mind, actually, Benji, was Suge Knight <laughs> yeah. and uh, giving Tupac his own, own uh, death row label, um, yep. Southwest or whatever the hell it was. Um, yeah, but 
look, look at the way they handled the big day out thing, you know, the way he probably handled it, you know, it says a lot. How could you be in a band with that asshole? Like, God, yeah, such a loser. I mean, like, I mean, there's be, you know, Big Day Out was was very sad, man, very, yeah. very sad. Uh, and there's at that point in time, I I'm think you could have some level of empathy where Fred Durst was juggling being this counterculture kind of iconoclast. I don't give a fuck, mother, motherfuck, motherfuck. I don't give a fuck. But along with the fact of shit you know we kind of have to be held accountable not only for big day out but i think they also have to be held accountable for woodstock i know they were an easy target to say nothing would have happened at woodstock had limp biscuit not have pissed everyone off and lifted that energy but um, that woodstock documentary hbo did woodstock 99 is fantastic and i love the fact that they got Limp Biscuit because they knew that they would get money out of the middle-class frat boy white movement. Just the dudes that were Represent! In- <laughs> there you go, man. Finally, our voices have been heard. We've been oppressed for so long. But yeah, it's, a, it's just a lack of fucking accountability. And, yeah. you know, oh, don't you come to our shows, you're going to get fucked up. By who, Fred? By who? You're actively going to beat up a teenager. Get so a, let, I don't want to hop on about this too much, but let's just say, yes, he got drunk and he was like, man, I would really want to work with those guys. And he didn't articulate it well. Then he, okay, fine. But then obviously it kicks off system of a down. Then according to an employee at Chicago's Rolling Stone records, Durst like came in and he had it like a little posse with him. He walked over and grabbed all the like new taproot albums. And then they're like, why are you buying all these CDs? And he's like, come to the parking lot and see. I'm going to burn every one of these pieces of shit. Uh, and then their manager was like, we're going to fucking call the cops. And so Durst uh, got into a Jeep and drove off with all the Taproot albums. It's like, that, there's, there's many, many points in that, just that excursion alone where you could go, all right, I'm out. All right, I've had my fun. You didn't have to go and do it. Like, he just kept stepping further in. It's, it's absolutely bullshit. Because he knew he could. Because they were a young band, they were impressionable. Yeah, and he was the elder statesman. And also, I've never gotten that. Like, I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna buy a record to take outside and burn. Like, congratulations, that's still gonna count towards Soundscope or fucking Aria or whatever kind of um, charting system in whatever country there is gonna be. So the jokes on Fred Durst because he's probably helped elevate them to a Billboard chart position. That perhaps had he not have had that beef. It's funny you mentioned um, Soundscope, Benji, because it's our 50th episode. I've fucking been saving for this day since our first episode. I got us a huge sponsor. How much money have you spent on that? Well, 50, 50 grand. It's our 50th episode, man. Like I said, it's kind of like, you know, your child gets married. As soon as your child is born, you're saving for their wedding. I've been building up to this. Uh, 50 grand on a fucking amazing sponsor that is going to bring in so many listeners. It's it's insane, man. So they're sort of like pre this ad and post this ad. This is it. We're about to blow up. We're, we're about to go worldwide, man. Uh, look, I, I, I apologize for this, Simon, but um, sit tight. It doesn't take as long as you think. <laughs> the White Album. Pet Sounds. Songs in the Key of Life. Never mind. Rumors. Blood on the track. 
Kid A. The Velvet Underground and Nico. The Chronic. Graceland. Do you know what's wrong with all of these albums? They weren't produced by the Bendigo Regional Institute of TAFE students doing the Music Industry Certificate Skills 2. That's right. These albums are junk compared to today's Batsio Death Trip sponsor, Soundscape. I mean, Soundscope. Released at the height of music in 2003, the Bendigo Regional Institute of TAFE has released an 18-track banger called Soundscope. Semicolon B-R-I-T, Bendigo Regional Institute of TAFE, compilation CD number six, hyphen Bendigo, colon, inside. That's right, this compilation is an enhanced CD full of rock and alternative rock bangers. Forget Incubus, because this compilation CD has the winner of pretty much every Battle of the Bands in Bendigo when I was growing up, Resident. And forget the mighty, mighty boss tones. Who needs them when you've got the Nine Irons? I'm strange, a little messed up. Why would you ever buy something that Mike Patton has released when this compilation has leech seed? But what about if you're a Deadsy fan and you love the lyrical flow of Eminem? Don't worry, we've got blank expression for you. Put away, drop off, be sure our beast is deceased. No one left and you'll see sick and me bringing back memories. Shut up, shut up. Every mass needs a sermon. Every wedding needs a kiss. Every festival needs a headliner. And Soundscope is no different. If I was to say to you, kiss the dirt by eye level eye, <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> That's right. Oh, fuck yeah, everybody. I'm about to listen to Kiss the Dirt by Eye Level Eye. Well, fucking strap yourself in. <laughs> What do you mean that song sounds awfully like Cold Chamber's Fiend? That's impossible. Cold Chamber's Fiend was released in 2002, and this album was released in 2003. Do the maths, it doesn't add up. Baccio Detrup are so proud to be brought to you today by the Bendigo Regional Institute of TAFE compilation CD released in 2003, Soundscope. Sadly, you cannot get it any fucking where. The TAFE has like got it in some sort of National Treasure-esque archive and they'll only let you observe it while wearing gloves while they look over your shoulder. It's absolutely bullshit. If you want any fucking chance of hearing this album, you've got to hassle Ez from Space Goat and get her to hassle Mighty from Space Goat <laughs> and hope that he can remember to go and get the album from his collection and then he'll, and then she, he'll bring it to her and she'll burn it and it'll be fucking great. And then you, you too, can listen to this great compilation album... Money well spent. That is how you get a sponsorship wow. for your 50th episode. Wow. Fuck me. <laughs> that is absolutely true. We tried to buy it on eBay. Couldn't do it. 
we found it in the TAFE library. And they're like, oh, it's not in the library you can go and take it out of. You can look at it, but we have to be with you. It's like, this CD, what do you mean? It's full, it's it's sitting in a bunch of op shop shelves. Like, what are you talking about? This isn't some sort of Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> no one gives a fuck about this. Yeah, Hans Meinig was trying to get it for <laughs> us as well. Every, yeah, no good. Um, every year, Benji, Bendigo Bands would try and get on that compilation. I actually named that album. Is it a bit like how a whole bunch of New Zealand and Australian bands would always try their best to get on the uh, lineup for Camp Aloham? Is it that hallowed? Yes, yes, it was. Now, I submitted uh, a demo to get in, and I was doing the course, right? Yeah. And so yeah. On, the, um, on the demo, I put... Marilyn Manson's Sweet Dreams, <laughs> and I put um, Mogwai Fear Satan, and I told them it was my band, and they're like, this is actually pretty good, and there was like someone in the back going, this isn't them, this is Marilyn Manson, and I almost got us on, but we had an assignment, it's like, you've got to name the compilation CD, and I forgot, and then like, the singer from Blank Expression had quite a few, and I was like, when it got to my turn, I'm like, ah, oh, sound scope, and they're like, love it. I'm like, it means nothing, guys. It literally means fucking nothing. They're like, that's what it will be. What an honour to be on the 50th episode. Uh, God, I can't believe you put that CD on. I'm in shock. That was great. Right, so 50th episode, brand new year, but same old habits. So for all the drummers out there listening in, here's Dr. Drums with his Dr. Drum report for this album. Dr. Drums, take it away. Drums. <laughs> Good morning, how are you? I'm Dr. Drums. I'm interested in drums. I'm not a real doctor, but I am a real drummer. I am an actual drummer. I live like a drummer. I like to play the drums. Hi, Dr. Drums here. If you've ever heard Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, then you have heard a flam. Now, if you're not sure what a flam is in the drummer lexicon, allow me to take a little grab from a drumio video called Flam Drum Rudiment Lesson, brackets, drumio, brackets. The flam stroke. This rudiment consists of two notes played closely together so they sound like one thick note. Something like this. Flams are really fun thing to add in for a drummer. They signify a change. They're often used as a launching pad into the next part of a song, often into a chorus or something a bit bouncier or heavier. And they're really, really easy to do. So all you need to do is, and you can do it on your thighs or on, your, on a table. All you need to do is bring your hands down, you know, at a similar time, but just a little bit apart. That's it. So you want to land like this. You should hear two distinct notes very, very close together. But you shouldn't hear, like, you don't bring them down at the same time, like. You want, like, the flam right there. So, look, I've got a sample from the Taproot song, Smile. That's it. It's short, it's sharp, it's to the point, but it signifies a change in the song. Well, that's just one sample. What if I were to tell you that this song, the opening track, played by Jared Montague, actually had 25 flams? Would you believe me? Well, I can prove it. I've cut them all out for you. Enjoy. Oh, 
if you don't like that, you don't like Bacio Death Trip. So that song is 3 minutes and 33 seconds long, which equals out to a flam at every 7.96 seconds. And that's being conservative because I think there are a few more in there that I just couldn't quite grab. So this album goes for 43 minutes and 32 seconds, which means if they continue with this flam average, that is 328 flams over the course of the entire album. And you might think, hey, Reese, did you listen to the whole album and count all the flams? No, I didn't, okay? I'm a doctor. I don't have that much time. But I skipped to the last song and have a listen to the very first drum beat played on the closing track, Impact. A nice, tight, crisp flam to open the closing track. But what about if I skip to the end of Impact? What do you think the drummer Jared Montague is doing at the very end of the track? Is he going to finish as strong as he started with Smile? Let's have a listen. Holy shit, the absolute man man has gone and done it. The great man has finished with not one, but two flams to finish this album. So, being a doctor of drums, my calculations are that this album has approximately 328 flams on it, making it the most flam-heavy album of all time. Back to you in the studio. Thank you, Dr. Drums, for that. And welcome back, everyone that isn't quite the drum enthusiast as Reese believes we have an audience for. Uh, we're here with Simon once again. Simon, how was that sitting in on the Dr. Drums? Was it as enthralling as as enthralling as a uh, as it seemed? Like as you probably noticed, I was vacantly staring at my phone, just letting Reese <laughs> talk about something called a flam, which I kind of thought was like uh, some kind of dessert dish. Uh, <laughs> or you know, I just thought that Reese had a speech impediment and couldn't pronounce the word flam. So <laughs> it was kind of like a one night stand wank. <laughs> New. I had a one night flam with myself last night. Yeah. That opening track off the album. Flan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Look, I just I'm just glad I know the um the amount. because uh, I knew there was some in there. Um but I didn't know there was so so many. Honestly, listen to Smile again. You'll be because you were air drumming along to that. You well, know yeah. how to play the drums. Yeah, there's one part. It's yeah. muscle memory that dude. It's because you can't do a drum roll very well, if I'm honest. That's why. So you do a, a flam and it's like, oh, something changed a little bit. It's like, no, no not much though, did it really? Uh, he just took one hand off the hi-hat and put it down on the snare. Dr. Drums. What about if they were so young and they just got this? Because the snare sound is pretty, pretty snappy. It's pretty good. Um, if he just like, you know, they just hit it. You know what? That just and fell in love with it fell in love with it and just went for it. You know, I was going to do a roll there. I was going to, cause you're right. There isn't a lot of, there isn't a lot of crazy roll work, but God, there's some flim flams. Woo. You're onto something there. Cause two, two things the, the the room that you're in on the sound of the kit or whatever can, can change the way you play in that moment. But also when you're recording, there's a very big difference between being in the studio and being on the live stage or in the practice space. And you've, I, I don't reckon he was super confident in the studio. So I was like, I'm not doing those roles. I'm just going to do what I think works. But fuck, he does a lot. It needed more double kick. I reckon it needed more triple kick. Nah, mate. I reckon it needed uh, syncopated Raymond Herrera-style trigger drumming. 
<laughs> yeah, I agree. Get Berserker that, in that, there. That, get that fear factor. Oh, bez- yeah, no, nah, Berserker. Berserker would be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Berserker another- Taproot collab you didn't know you wanted. No, I want it now. I want it all now, you know. And, uh, you know, I reckon maybe a little bit more insert Australian band that I have no idea of here. Uh, I reckon a bit more of that band as well. Speaking of Australian, Taproot is kind of a funny name because root means to make love. Make, yeah, to uh, engage sexually. Yeah, to engage in coitus. Now, <laughs> is that the same in the UK and New Zealand? In New Zealand, definitely, definitely. You know, people would giggle when you, when I was in college, people would giggle when I was like, oh, yeah, I'm having some internet problems with the router. <laughs> in searching Taproot recently, though, it doesn't help that there's a whole kind of blockchain that's beginning so maybe by talking about Taproot, we're actually tapping into uh, an uncharted territory of blockchain, which many people should invest in. Fuck knows they have to, man. No, so you don't invest in it. Taproot is a script that improves privacy and security around Bitcoin. Well, that's boring as shit. I liked my idea more. <laughs> I listened to eight podcasts before I'm like, when are they going to talk about the flams? <laughs> it's like, oh my God, like, I don't recall any of this being on that album. i got to rediscover that. But okay, yeah, root was another phrase for to have sex, to get down on it. But it leads into the game, you say, Reese. Yes, the game is about rooting. So I found a louder sound article. And, you know, people say music journalism is dead. Fuck that. This is proof that it is live and kicking. Sender style. Brackets. My big <laughs> elephant nuts. Close brackets. Because they have gone through famous musicians and the album that they lost their virginity to. Now, they didn't come to Butcher Death Trip because they, I would have had three parts. I would have had Murder Noms, Straight Up, and Seven Dust Home. How you know? would you have lost your virginity three times? No, remember it was a, a long time, and it was that yeah, CD but, uh, rotation thing. Yeah, but at what? Oh my god, I can't believe I'm going to ask you this. What what album was playing when the first <laughs> penetration took place? I got no idea, man. I think. <laughs> oh, look, I was too in the moment to really pay attention. And, and I'd peeling, like to say it was peeling three like a, yeah, and you know, shedding your skin. You'd like to think it was three levers. <laughs> me and you both know it was probably like. The intro to a Seven Dust song, wasn't it? Oh, it was probably Waffle, if I'm, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But we digress. So there's a bunch of albums that modern music journalism have lined up next to who lost their virginity Mm. to that album. Is that correct? Correct. And your job is to match the artist to the album. Crikey. Who would like to go first? Oh, sure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, Simon, you're going first. We've got our three artists. We've got uh, Jacoby Shaddix, Mr. Dick, if you're nasty, from Papa Roach. We've got Slash, and we've got Wednesday 13. And the albums are Fleetwood Mac Rumors, Typo Negative Bloody Kisses, and In Excesses Kick. All right, so I'll start with Wednesday 13 with uh, definitely Typo Negative Bloody Kisses. Okay. Reason being... What uh, would Wednesday Thirteen listen to anything else? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm about to be shocked. But um, oh, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to park that. I'm I'm questioning myself, but I'm going to keep going. All right. So in excess kick to slash, and <laughs> I'm going to say Jacoby Shaddix to Fleetwood Mac rumors because 
although he may not have been listening to it, it his mum and dad would have been listening to it, and that just inadvertently become his first sex song. That's a that's a very strong answer, Simon. Yeah. Very strong. Yeah, and I'm gonna go with that. So you've gone Jacoby Shaddix, Mr. Dick if you're nasty, has rooted to Fleetwood Max rumors, slash rooted to Inexcess's kick. Wednesday 13, rooted to typo negatives, bloody kisses. Let's go down here and have a look. Oh, oh. I got one. You got one. Wednesday 13 did root to typo negative bloody kisses, slash he was rooting to Fleetwood Max rumors and Jacoby Shaddix, Mr. Dick, if you are in fact nasty, uh, rooted to Inexcess's kick. Uh, so that's yeah. one point. You are currently in the lead. His mum and dad were listening to NXS's kick. I'm holding that. Look, one point, Benji could fuck this up and you could take this home. Although he's pretty good at this, to be fair. Benji, are you ready? Yes. All right, Benji, your artists are Benji Webb from Skin Dread, who I think you know. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know Benji. Well, I used to know Benji. I'm looking forward to when we finally talk about Skin Dread. Okay, cool. Corey Taylor... From a little band I like to call Stone Sour. Yep. And also CMFT, a little band I like to call A Pile of Dog Shit. It was was in that smaller band Slipknot as well, if you've heard of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of that Mushroomhead cover band, yeah? And you've (laughs) got Chris Motionless from Motionless in White. And the albums are Bob Marley's Kaya, Deftone's White Pony, and Depeche Mode's 101. Who the fuck is Chris Motionless? From Motionless in White. Who the fuck are they? Bro, someone hasn't rooted. All right, I'm going to say Benji where Bob Marley's Kaya. Because I know Benji is a big, big fan of, like, dancehall reggae and stuff like that. I'm going to say Corey Taylor's Depeche Mode 101, just because Corey Taylor likes to think he's a bit arty. And just by the powers of deduction, I'm going to say Chris Motionless White Pony. So, Benji Webb Skin Dreb. Bob Marley, Kaya, Corey Taylor, Mr. Tate, if you're nasty, Depeche Mode 101, Chris Motionless, Motionless and White, your favourite band, Benji, Deftones. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I absolutely love that band I've never heard of until today. Simon, I'm pretty sure he's fucking smashed it yeah. again. Yeah. He's absolutely done it. Well done. <laughs> the the, the well trick done. is you figure out how old they are and then you figure out in their formative years what was going on. It's unfair to you, Simon, though, because I I have spent time with Benji Webb, so... Yeah, and Corey Taylor would have been like, if he rooted to Deftone's White Pony, he would have been like 30 when he lost his virginity. (laughs) Yeah, and like I I think he's got more of a rep than that. (laughs) He looks like the kind of guy that would appreciate Depeche Mode as well. He's very, very interesting what kind of influences he has. Well done. I'm sorry, Simon, on your on your first guest appearance on Baccio. You've absolutely embarrassed yourself. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as we say in the game show industry. Sometimes. I think I had a flam. <laughs> so, Reese, let me finish off today's podcast by uh, asking you, now you've gone back and you've not treated this album as the kind of punchline throughout Baccio Death Trip's 50-episode history. Am I right in thinking you've warmed to it a little bit more than you did? I picked up on more than I thought I would. There was more happening than you would think. And actually, to be fair, it's kind of... um, There's more happening here than there is 
on Disturbs the Sickness. The Disturbs yeah. Sickness is is a four piece band, very much doing four piece band things. Whereas at least Taproot are, are trying to do something different. I've got a tiny grab of Drag Down. That guitar, that little noodly guitar they do, it it is so good. And and you don't get anything like that on Disturbed. And I don't know why Disturbed is so huge. That that still blows my mind. Did you hear the flam in there, by the way, guys? There was a flam. Uh, yeah, so, like, you don't get those kind of little um, flurries, if you will, on Disturbed. So I think there is more than I probably gave them credit for. So, yeah, I, I just think they're a young band. Stephen Richards, I don't think – I think the band would have been better if they had a, a different singer or if he wrote sort of different lyrics. Or that I think they kind of reached a ceiling and they couldn't push beyond – that given his sort of limited vocal range but you, you know, form a band with your friends and you get popular you don't want to be like oh we could get a better singer you know so look more props <laughs> yeah. to him um I'm, I'm a bit disappointed their drummer wouldn't sell me his book you know check your emails guys yeah like i said they've just disappeared know. off social media though the last time at follow taproot posted on twitter was back in 2019 so come back to us taproot we need you well, I have I have some good news. Um, I, I, upon my research, um, I have actually been friends with uh, Jared for a long time on social media. I actually forgot about that. Um, but I jumped on Stephen Richards's page, and um, there he um, he's put himself down as a singer, guitarist, drummer, producer of Taproot, and the new album's called Scissors, spelt a little bit strangely. Um, but yeah, um, he's got live clips three days ago. He's doing a whole album. So he's got long hair. He's got long hair now. Yeah. Cause Jared, the drummer is no longer in the band, but he did this weird thing where he was like, Hey, to, to sell my book, I'm going to sell you guys like signed taproot stuff, but also some taproot like patches and stickers and stuff mm. that I think he just made himself, you know, it'd be like m- me making a nine iron sticker. Maybe you got him off Fred Durst. <laughs> hey, Fred, once you've finished abusing my mum, can uh, I please have some stickers? <laughs> that's definitely one of those clips that's probably going to get cut and definitely taken out of context, man. Hey? <laughs> but I do have a challenge for Butcher listeners. Go to Spotify and find their latest album, not Blue Sky Research. Um, I think it's called The Episodes. Or yeah, and no, just it listen is to The it. Episodes. It's fucking weird. It's so it bizarre. Is. They're obviously a band that's like, we don't, we're doing this for fun. We don't need a single anymore. This is, and it, it is a, a bizarre album. If that was their first album around this time, everyone would be like, oh my God, they're like the new Dredge. Like it is. Well, they're releasing through Victory Records now because they got dropped after Blue Sky Research sold. If I remember reading correctly, I was 112,000 copies they sold of that album, and Atlantic, much like many major record labels, just went, yeah, forget about it, drop them. Wow. I've got one. Oh, for God's sakes, Reese! if you're going to reference and sample Taproot, at least get to the screamy part. <laughs> for God's sakes, man. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you've. Uh, I'm still waiting for an apology for you knocking Taproot. Now I've explained why I have that love. I've got Simon here as well, so he can attest to the fact that you're going to apologise. 
nah, you're not going to do it. So in the next episode of Batshow Dev Trip, we'll be talking about cold, I believe. <laughs> yes, Simon, did you ever fuck with cold? Well, upon my research of Taproot, I, I just rediscovered, and because I'm an avid listener of the Batshow Dev Trip. And we love um, you for it. You, we love you, you for guys, it. Thank you. It is a um, honour to be on here. Fiftieth, I made oh. you guys a sign. Look at that. <laughs> right. Oh, screen grab that! Someone screen grab that. Yeah, no, I appreciate the sign. It's been great having you on. But in your research regarding taproot, yeah, you cold. Stumbled into cold. Yeah. Um. Ah, uh, Scooter was the singer's name. Yeah, or oh, is the singer's name? They're fucking yeah. great, man. Hey, they're they're right. real. I really they're spoiler alert. Cool. They be cool, and <laughs> I really like it. And I don't think there are many flams in that record. So, yeah, definitely, man, in, on your Dawn Patrol. I don't know if you listen to music uh, during it, but, man, put that on the Bluetooth speaker. Everyone's going to start fucking pumping pumping iron yeah. heart out, man. Yeah, especially the song with Aaron Lewis. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure he was a crisis actor in that, man. Uh, it was a false flag <laughs> song. <laughs> But oh, I, got I don't I want, want you to have the last word on this podcast. I don't want Benji or me to have it. I don't want Dr. Drums to have it either. It's our 50th episode. So who else do you get? But you get Igor Cavalera, the drummer from Sepultura, to send in a little birthday message. Yo, yo, yo. Benji and Riz, Igor Cavalera here, wishing you guys a happy 50th birthday. Welcome to the 50 Club like me, and keep metal and stay rocking. Holy shit, man. You got how did you get Eagle? I'll talk about that later. But that is that's fucking cool. And his, I'm gonna need thirty five thousand dollars. And his uh, just say his new nice. band's pretty cool that he's got over here as well. <laughs> I believe they're called Pep Rick. Mr. Rick, if you're nasty. Uh, now I'm gonna have to go back and revisit all the Max tracks that I've missed out on as well. Mary no. Merry, Merry 50th anniversary. <laughs> Merry 50th. Merry holiday. We couldn't do it. <laughs> Steve Durst. Hey, man. You fucked up. You don't ever bite the hand that feeds in this business, bro. And your fucking manager, some of that, the fucking idiot, loser motherfucker going nowhere. You just chosen that path. Took you under my wing, brought you to my house. Fucking talk about your ass on radio on press. And you embarrassed like me and the Interscope family. Your association with no biscuit doesn't exist. Your manager slings that name around. He's gonna be blackballed and probably be erased. And you will too. He's a fucking idiot. You're gonna fucking learn from this time right here. I hope you let your band know that you just fucked yourself. You need to be associated with somebody in this business. You need something to get you out there and put you out there and believe in Now you got enemies and you're fucking yourself already. Tell your friend that. Don't fucking show up at my shows because if you do, you're going to get fucked. All right? You and your fucking punk ass, man. You call your fucking manager, David Menezes, whatever. Ask him what he's done and doing. You're, you're a fucking... Dumb motherfucker, you're learning right now exactly how to ruin your career before it gets started. All the luck, brother. Fuck you.